Thank goodness he has coverage, right? Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, welcome to our church family at home. We're glad to connect with you, uh, not only at home, but uh, wherever you are, we're glad to be together. Uh, just want you to know, the name of that movie is uh, Due Date, and this is not an endorsement of that movie. I have never seen it myself. I understand there are some crass parts of it. Uh, sorry to you at home that we couldn't show you that because there's copyright reg- restrictions, so I guess you'll have to YouTube search that or whatever you do, but be careful. Um, so uh, before we get to that, you may want to actually click to your Bible app or if you have a Bible with you to Hebrews chapter 2. That's where we're going to go this morning. But before we do, uh, I want to invite you to come to something this evening. Uh, we've been telling you about a student ministries gala that we're doing. It's really a fundraising event to raise funds, to send kids to camp, to send the friends of our kids in the student ministry to camp who don't know Jesus yet, and then other things related to our student ministry area. Uh, you can get tickets online uh, at copperhills.org. They're, I think, 25 bucks a piece. That'll get you a meal and in the door. And then bring your credit card, bring your checkbook. We will take cash, check, charge, Bitcoin, whatever. We are trying to raise some money here for some kids. So what's happened is a bunch of people have donated some really, really cool things that you'll have a chance to bid on and buy. And so uh, that's one donation already, but we double up on it when you buy it. And so if you would come tonight, that would be great. Now you might say, I don't really have students. I think I'm not there yet, or thank Jesus I'm past that. Whatever your, your position, yeah, well, your position might be, doesn't matter. They're our kids. They belong to us. And we want to raise them in a way that Jesus is central and that they have an opportunity to invite their friends who don't know Jesus yet to be part of what they're experiencing, particularly this summer in camp. And so it's an investment in the kingdom. Come join us this evening. I think you'll be glad that you did. And then I want to encourage you to pray for a couple of teams of people that are going out uh, on a mission experience this next two weeks. A group of uh, 12 young men or so are going to head down to Mexico outside of Hermosillo to help with a ministry that's there. And then they're going to go over to Rocky Point and some other students and adults are going to join them there. And guess what? There's a family today who doesn't have a home. In two weeks from now, they're going to have a home. They're going to have shelter. They're going to have a home. And this group of people are selflessly and namelessly going to do it in the name of Jesus so that that family would understand that the God who made them loves them and provides for them wonderfully. So would you pray for those two teams of people? Okay, so to, to this, I didn't actually show you that clip uh, to tell you that there are real dangers ahead if uh, you are all, every passenger and driver in the car is sleeping and you come to a construction zone and that's not the point, okay? It's meant to introduce something that you might have missed like they missed it. Do you know what they missed? They missed the drift indicators. They missed the rumble. You know what rumble strips are? They missed those. They drove right over top. The car is shaking. There's noise, but they just keep going. Don't wake up. And they get into danger. They get into real trouble with it. And so over the next several weeks, we want to think together about rumble strips, but not just in the uh, sense of uh, traffic and uh, vehicles and so on. Uh, We want to think about it in terms of 
rumble strips in our spiritual lives. And that's where I'm going to explain that a little bit in just a bit. So these are rumble strips. They're either grooves in the pavement down the center lane or on the sides of the lane, or sometimes they're ridges. And the whole idea is they're an audible and a tactile warning that you have now drifted out of your lane. And if you keep drifting, danger lies ahead. It could be serious danger. It could be over-the-cliff kind of danger. It could be head-on. Did you know that 50% of vehicular accidents in which someone dies, 50% of them, are because a car drives out of its lane? Now, rumble strips, drift indicators, are becoming obsolete because of the technology in our cars, right? You have now electronic drift indicators. But for this series, they're not obsolete because I need them. Okay, just plain and simple, all right? So we're going to delay technology for a couple of weeks here. All right, so uh, rumble strips and how they relate to our, our lives. Uh, there's an incident that my family and I had some years ago that I think these rumble strips probably saved us from injury, maybe saved our lives. Uh, it was uh, several years ago when our three children were in their mid to early teens, and we decided we were going to take a 22-hour road trip and just knock it out all at one time. Just go for it. So we got up early one morning, and we started out on our way heading north. And after about 16 hours or so, we'd gotten to Butte, Montana. And uh, if you've ever been in that area, it is a beautiful, picturesque part of our country through some mountains and whatnot. And we had been driving all day, and Elfie and I had been trading off every couple of hours to shared the driving load, and she had, within the last few hours, turned the wheel over to me, and I'm driving. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We're like 16 hours into it. We've gotten up early. We've been driving all day, and the rhythmic pattern of the vehicle, everybody's asleep in the vehicle, except me. I'm driving. Can't be sleeping, right? Well, it's dark, and it's a clear night, and the, the mountains are silhouetted against the full moon. It was a really beautiful Night And I, I notice as I'm driving along, I, I have a few moments of mental lapse where I'm not there. But they were just momentary. And I quickly turned it around and I go, oh, no, I, like I'm driving. That would be dangerous to fall asleep. Besides, I've done this before. This isn't a problem for me. So I turn on the vent and it's uh, like late winter through that part of Montana. And instantly it's cold in the vehicle. It's refreshing to me. But everybody else is starting to stir and put blankets around them. It's just too cold in the van, so I shut that off. And I drive on a little bit further, a few more mental lapses. I shake my head, I grab a snack, I do a few of those things to try to bring myself back to life. Uh, and then I woke up. Yeah. And uh, I realized what woke me up were the screaming occupants in my van. And the incredibly loud rattling noise from the right side of the van. And the whole van is just shaking. But I get myself together pretty quick. And I take my foot off the gas. I put my foot on the brake. And I steer back into my lane. Because I, out the front window, can see the road is turning off to its left. And off to the right is the dark abyss. And I'm headed for it. And in that moment of clarity and consciousness, I get back into the lane. I correct, but I'm shaken. And so I slowed the van down, pulled over to the side, and stopped. 
And everybody at this point is saying, what were you thinking? How could you do that? And I'm thinking, well, pretty easily, actually. I actually thought about it as I was getting drowsy. I really should hand this off to Elfie. Like, I, I, I should just take a break. Maybe, maybe even just pull over to the side for a bit, like an hour, something like that. Get some sleep. Maybe just pull over, walk around the van a little bit in the cool air. That's going to kind of refresh me a little bit. But here's what I'm thinking. I got this. I've done this before. We've taken all-nighters like that. That's no big deal. It's just I'm a little more tired this time than I am. It'll, it'll pass. We'll get through it. I'll get a second wind. And I did. Rumble strips will give you a second wind. <laughs> they will. And so um, we decide to do things a little bit different, uh, take a bit of a break, and got back in and drove the rest of the way. And uh, I think those rumble strips maybe saved our lives. I don't know that for sure. But I'm so grateful for rumble strips. I'm grateful that those were there that night in particular. Had another experience with rumble strips or drift indicators this last summer. Elfie and I went to California, did a bit of a sabbatical, and on our way back, we're driving through the desert. And once again, Elfie's sleeping. I'm driving, she's sleeping. Okay? And I thought, what would be really cool is if I just drove onto those rumble strips a little bit. <laughs> and so I did. She didn't think it was nearly as cool as I did. <laughs> Not nearly. Mm-mm. And so, odd enough, the next hundred miles or so, we couldn't think of a single thing to talk about. It's pretty quiet in the car. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about drift indicators and an incredible lack of judgment, both of those things. And then I thought of Montana. I thought of Butte, Montana, with my family driving through the mountains on that winter night. And I thought how grateful I am for those rumble strips. I actually had a visceral reaction thinking about the fear and the angst that I had created and the danger I had created for my family. And then I had this thought. And where do these thoughts come from, right? I'm driving along in silence through the desert. And I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder if I don't have some rumble strips or some drift indicators in my spiritual life. You know, some things that just go off when I'm headed for danger. And I wonder how many times I just drive through those. And I go, I got this. No problem. But everything's rattling. There's an audible sound. There's warning lights that are going off. And I go, oh, I got this. No worries. And uh, I thought how much more significant thinking through what spiritual drift indicators look like and the consequences and the danger of just driving through those. It's a sobering thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, whether you have those or not, but I kind of suspect we all do, those kinds of things that go off for us. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. This is where Hebrews 2 comes in. This idea of uh, spiritual rumble strips are they're, they're kind of things we don't notice really, really easily. We, we don't intentionally ignore them because if we knew they were spiritual rumble strips, we probably would go, I don't want the end, the consequence. I don't want the abyss. I don't want to drive headlong into something. And we would probably, but they're so subtle. And unless we consciously think of them or are aware of them, we can just go right past them till we get in trouble. 
And then, of course, we pull back. But damage sometimes is... You know, we know about these kinds of rumble strips in most areas of our lives. For sure, traffic, right? We just talked about it. But we know about this in relationships, too. I meet with people periodically whose marriage isn't what they want it to be. And oftentimes, it's like really not what they want. And a lot of stuff has happened. And uh, it's really in a really bad place. And oftentimes, we'll sit together and talk together. And I'll say, it hasn't always been like this, has it? And they'll tell me about days where they were madly in love with each other. And they were the focus of each other's attention and affection. But that was a long time ago. That was years and years ago. And now, this is where we're at. And they'll say things like, I don't know how we got here. Like, how did we get here? But then as they unpack and they roll back a little bit, they start to notice some indicators along the way that they just ignored. Didn't deal with, didn't course correct. And those without attention led them to where they are here today. As I say, this is where Hebrews comes in, Hebrews chapter 2. Do you know that it's the only place in the Bible where this word drift comes in, as in drift indicator? It's the only place. It's It's the only place where the Greek word gets translated as drift. This is actually how it starts. It's from Hebrews chapter 2. It says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For, the, for since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape? How shall we avoid drifting if we ignore or drift away from so, such great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Can I give you a little bit of context, a little bit of history of what this is? This comes from uh, a mini book within the 27 books of the New Testament that make up that book. It's, uh, it's, it's thought, to, generally speaking, to have been written by Paul. You might be familiar with him. He was a, really a key leader of the Christian movement in the first century and uh, actually uh, is a key catalyst for how the church spreads outside of Israel. Here's the interesting thing. It's not for sure that he's written it, but I think he did, but you don't have to go with that. I don't know if it matters exactly who wrote it, but it's interesting if it would be Paul that writes it, given his own experience with drift. But uh, it was written. uh, Most experts who think about this stuff deeply would say it's probably written within about 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Just 30 years. Think about that. Now, if you're under 30, that seems like forever. And anybody over 30 looks old. I get that. But if you're 30-ish, like, or older, like, that's only 30 years. So it's really fresh. So um, if it's Paul, let's just say it's Paul for today. He writes it. And he's got this idea in his mind. He writes it to Christians, to Jesus followers, whoever are going to get this letter or this note. And he's trying to implore something. It's, it's not one of those feel-good books. It's a really direct exhortation to followers of Jesus. Uh, but I love how direct he is. There's a lot to learn in this, in this book. Uh, so it appears what he's trying to do is address this problem in the early church. There were people who... Uh, came from a Jewish experience. And there were also people who didn't come from, came from a Gentile or non-Jewish experience. And the Jewish 
followers of Jesus said, you non-Jewish people, you need to take on some of the Jewish culture and customs and Old Testament theology. You need to take that on or you can't be a real Christian. Then these Gentile, non-Jewish Christians were saying, well, hold on just a second. You should deny some of the Jewish history because Jesus has a new covenant and it's a new way. And so there's this tension between these groups in the church. And you know who got left out? Jesus got left out. For the sake of doctrine, for the sake of dogma, Jesus got missed. Who he was. The wonder of who he is. The greatness, the goodness, the love, the grace, the mercy. And Paul looks at that and goes, hold on just a second. I want, to, I want you to listen to something. Uh, because if you don't, you run the risk of drifting to one of those two places. And you're going to drift away from Jesus. Do you know that you never drift to Jesus? You will drift away from him. But you will always drift to something. So this is what Paul writes in this. He starts this way. We must pay the most careful attention to something. That isn't strong enough. That's kind of limp. Because it's far more, in the original Greek, far stronger language. In the Greek, it's something like this. It behooves us more abundantly to give heed. No one talks like that. Really? He's trying to be emphatic. He's trying to get you, listen, listen, listen. No, 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 no. Listen. Turn off your phone. Shut off the TV. Listen. Elfie and I had the privilege of trying to raise three little people. Our first little person was really strong-willed, and we almost didn't have more children. <laughs> really strong-willed. And then our next son was this tender, soft-hearted, really sensitive boy. And then we had our little princess. Yeah, a little drama queen at times, too, right? Well, each one of them, on occasion, I know it's hard to believe, but they wouldn't listen to us. Like, we're the only ones that had kids like that, and this is really a confession of bad parenting, I'm sure. But they wouldn't listen. And so I had this brilliant parenting idea that came up. You can use this. It's probably original with me. When they wouldn't listen, particularly our strong-willed son, I would get down on my knees in front of him, and I would hold his face in my hands, and I would go, listen. Right here. Look at Dad. Listen. I want you to know something. What I'm about to tell you could change your destiny. <laughs> it could. But it could also change your life. And so I want you to listen, son. Listen to me. This is really important. It's like this is what Paul is doing. He's going to us collectively in the church and listen to this. This is so important. Well, listen to what? This is how he goes on. He says, therefore, listen to what we have heard. Well, we all know what we've heard, right? No, we don't. Unless you read the first chapter. Because that's what he's referring to. Listen to what I just told you in the first chapter. So what did he tell them and us in the first chapter? One of these two doctrine or dogma was correct and right? Uh-uh. This is what he tells them. He says, God appointed Jesus Heir of all things. He's going to talk to them about Jesus. And through whom? Jesus. Whom through? Also he made the universe. The Son is 
the radiance of God's glory. That's who he is. And he is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And you know something? Some of us need to hear that itself today. In a world of chaos, what's happening in the Ukraine, with the uncertainty of how that ends and what happens, we need to know that he sustains all things simply with his voice. He just speaks it. This is who our king is. After he had provided purification for our sins, which reflects to a cross and a resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is is superior to him. He says, listen, listen, listen. Jesus is central to everything. He's the sustainer. He's the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God's like, get to know Jesus. If you're ho-hum about him, if you could take him or leave him, if he's not the center of your direction and he's not guiding you by his spirit in his life, you're drifting. Can I be that frank? Because he's who guides, he's who's direct, he's the one that has mercy and grace and goodness and justice and holiness and all of those attributes and those character qualities. And then he's humble enough to come to us and go, would you let me lead your life? I'll first of all redeem you, resuscitate you, give you new life, forgive you of all of the stuff that you've done that keeps you from having new life. I'll pay for that on a cross with my own life. God dies on a cross, get out of town. I just said that. God died on a cross to rescue us. And he would say, let's live life together. And if you don't, you're going to drift. You're going to drift. And I don't want you to drift. And I'm going to graciously give you some drift indicators along the way, some rumble strips for your soul. Drifting matters. Because if you drift long enough and far enough, you go over the abyss or there's a head-on collision, and some of us have experienced that. So back to the desert. I'm driving east back home through the desert, and the car is still quiet. And I'm thinking about spiritual drift indicators. And I started making a kind of a mental list for myself. And one of the first ones that went off for me that are an indicator to me that I'm drifting uh, are things like when I'm easily offended by someone. You know, someone says something or does something or they're annoying, and I just get offended way too easily. And if, if I don't recognize that offense that I've taken really easy, it's not all that far from condemnation. And then that has consequences in their life and my life and Like it's driving over a cliff. So being easily offended. You know, sometimes the simplest things are hard for me to forgive. It's a drift indicator. Because Jesus has forgiven so much in my life. But I stop putting a circle around myself and I'm in awe of what he's forgiven me. And I start saying, I can't forgive you. For some little things sometimes, that's that's a drift indicator. I'm getting out of my lane. I need to course correct I need to think about what I've been forgiven of. And then he who has been forgiven much forgives much. 
Here's another one I've noticed in my life. The propensity to fudge on the truth. You know, I, I don't tell big lies. But I'm a liar. Because sometimes I embellish stories. Sometimes I say things that, well, they're 80% true, but I leave out some parts conveniently to protect myself. Because I want to look better than I am, or I want, to look, want you to think I'm better than I am. That's a drift indicator. That's, that's drifting. Do you have an inventory of those things in your life? Do you know what they are? Do you recognize them when they go off? And here's the thing with drift indicators. Our first response is, go. I'll never lie again. I'll never be easily offended. I'll easily forgive. And it's the wrong starting point. Because we can't do it. Here's what Paul is saying. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus wants to lead your life in the next moment. You're drifting from him. Make a decision back to letting him be the center of your life. And then he'll take care of that because Jesus did not come into this world to change behavior. He came to make dead people alive. And when they're alive, their behavior changes. When they're walking with him, their behavior changes, their worldview changes, their love for others, the ease of forgiveness, the lack of offense. That's what changes. And this is what Paul is saying. We all drift. Do you know what, you know what the indicators are? And if you do, don't stop them. Get back to Jesus. Know Jesus. Figure him out. Learn from him. Study him. Find out who he is. Have a f- conversational friendship with him. Those drift indicators are so good. They're essential for us. But why do they come? Like why do we why do we experience those things? Well, here's a couple of here's a couple of reasons why drift indicators appear for us. One is we tend to lean toward isolation and the wrong input in our lives, the wrong intake. Uh, Isolation. Uh, There's a great propensity in our culture to live independent, and we value that in our culture. But it's not valued by Jesus living independent from him, but there's a lot that can can come into our world and our life with that. Do you, do you know, here's, here's what happens for us. We will begin to drift from our church family or our spiritual friendships before we drift in our faith. So if you're not part of a group of people who are fellow journeyers with the Savior, if that's not part of your weekly, daily experience, part of your habit in life, I'm guessing you're drifting. We were never made to do this alone. We're meant to do this with each other, next to each other, for each other. And if you don't have that in your life, you have a huge risk factor. And I'll bet rumble strips and drift indicators are going off all over the place. I would say to our church family at home, we're so glad that we have this streaming opportunity. We really are. It's good. But I would make my plea to you, when it's safe, come back and enjoy the fellowship of being together, of sharing life together, of journeying together, of being encouraged together, of walking together. You just miss something at home when, when that's if that's what you've got, that's isolation. I get why we need to do that, and it's 
good for now. But it's not a diet that we can sustain. It's interesting. Paul writes this in Hebrews just a little later. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Sounds good, right? Well, don't, you won't get it this way by giving up meeting together. But some are in the habit of doing that. But you're going to experience it by encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our culture is great at distracting us and moving us and giving us every opportunity to isolate from fellow followers of Jesus. And that's where we'll drift, left to ourselves. But we need to make this decision to not live that way, to move toward one another and encourage one another in the journey. The second is intake. Somebody uh, recently, and I uh, suggest that I watch a movie, and I can't tell you which movie it is because I'll out the person that suggests that I watch this movie. Um, and it was a really interesting, adventurous movie. I didn't check the rating beforehand. We got, Elfie and I one evening, got about two-thirds of the way through it, and then there is this sexually explicit scene that's raunchy and debasing. And I can't, I can't remember the plot of the movie two weeks later. But you know what I can remember? That scene. That's still in here. This is, this is intake. Do you know about the law of gravity, right? If I had something here and I dropped it, it's going to fall. What percentage of the time? 100% of the time. Have you heard about the law of exposure? It also works 100% of the time. It's this. Whatever we expose our minds to, whatever we think about, whatever we spend time listening to and drawing in, it's what we think about And then once we think about it long enough, it's what we become. And there are just lots of other things other than Jesus to think about. Except they all make us drift from him. And what Paul says again, listen, listen, listen. Come, come to Jesus and let him be the center of your thought. Give him time every day. Read the Bible, not as a competitive exercise, but as a as information for your soul, a story of love for you. Be involved with what the intake, whether it's worship music or whatever it is, but you, you're going you're gonna to say, I know, I heard my kids say it over and again, I've got this. Like, doesn't really affect me if I'm on social media so much or if I watch YouTube videos for several hours a day or if I listen to the news. Like, you watch the news for an hour, tell me, does your joy level go up? <laughs> no, your anxiety goes up. That's the law of exposure. That's the law of taking in. This is a decision, an intentional to include the center part of what Jesus teaches and who he is to keep us from drifting. So over the next weeks, I would like to, if you're interested, and if you are, you'll you'll come, I would like to look at some spiritual drift indicators that many of us face. And I would like to look at them from the perspective of what the scriptures might say, how you and I can recognize them. And then when we recognize them, how Jesus would want to help us steer away from danger and do some course correction and live in the wonder and joy of who he is. Toward the end of John's life, Jesus' friend John, uh, he has this vision of Jesus. Jesus speaks to him and he writes the book of Revelation. If you've, it's at the end of your Bible. 
there's a church that's a really important church, and this is what he writes to that church in Ephesus. He writes, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken. That's not an instant choice. That's a drift idea. If you look at the original Greek word, it's drift. So you have drifted from the love that you have. Consider how far you've drifted. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's what we want to do together these next weeks. I hope you'll join us as we do that. Jesus, we are all prone to wander. It's a song I used to sing as a kid. Prone to leave the God I really do love. And this is our propensity, Jesus. I thank you that you don't come along and condemn us for that. And We sang a song earlier about how you take our shame and don't remind us of it, but you help us do the course correction so we can live lives of joy, of peace, that when chaos is all around us and violence is in our world, we can live as people who are content and in a place where we feel perfectly safe because we're with you. So, Jesus, would you give us the courage to think about what our drift, spiritual drift indicators are? Refocus our minds on you. We need you, Jesus. We just need you. We need you in this moment. We need you to personally communicate with us, reveal yourself to us. For you know well we're prone to wander and drift. And so today we make a choice to move back to you. Amen.